Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Sex Education, Season 2. Episode 3. In this episode, Amy gets assaulted on the bus, and it's really the worst. I just, this is a really rough one. And Eric goes on a date, which is so good and wonderful and sweet. But then Adam being back has to, like, ruin it. Everything is so complicated. Also, who keeps stealing Maeve's propane? It's her birthday! Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Ashley for commissioning this episode. Ashley and Ms. T are in the chat agreeing with me on the sexiness of a TikTok man whose link I shared right before I got started. So uh, if you don't come to the live episodes, that's what you're missing is links to hot TikTok men. So I hope you can live with yourself. So this episode, it was a real roller coaster of like delightful things and, and rough things and very awkward, embarrassing things. And I'm not exactly sure where to start. Normally there's like a particular storyline that grabs me the most that I want to talk about. And this time they all kind of equally intrigued me. I think, I think I'll get Otis out of the way first because his storyline is the one that I find the least interesting, honestly, at this point, Um, which is really what's going on with him is that he is really resentful of his mother's relationship. He's resentful of Jakob and he feels like they're trying to act like they're a big, happy family. When first of all, he already has a dad as he puts it. And it's one of those things that when you're watching it from the outside, it's like, I can understand where he's coming from in a hypothetical sense. You know, a new man comes into your mother's life. You don't expect him to stick around because most of them don't. And then there's like suddenly this new family dynamic that they're trying to push and you feel like, what the fuck? No. However, when you're actually watching it, it's so clear that Jakob isn't trying to play that role in Otis's life 
that you feel just kind of like Otis, bud, you need to like calm down. It just feels like he's projecting so much onto Jakob. And when he comes by later and he apologizes, it doesn't feel like a real apology. He, he literally says, my mom wanted me to come apologize. So I'm sorry. But it didn't really feel like he meant it or like he understood what he was like projecting instead of what was really happening. And I just got I, I I just find myself constantly lately frustrated with Otis as a character. And I'm sort of wondering if that's purposeful. Um, what I'm, I'm sort of suspecting a little bit with this show, and I might be wrong, but do you guys remember how incredibly shitty Piper is in Orange is the New Black? I never finished the show, just like full disclosure. Um, but... What the writers later admitted was that they created the character of Piper to give them an in into the world of this prison because they knew that if they centered a person of color, specifically a woman of color, that they wouldn't get the audience response. So they tricked everybody basically into watching a show about women of color who are incarcerated by making it look like it was going to star a white woman. And I'm starting to be like, is that what we're doing with Otis? Did we like want to make a show about a variety of other teens, but we didn't think people would bite. So we made it about a teen boy, a white teen boy who's hetero and says, to start and get everybody hooked in. And then we would just sneak in dollops of stories that don't actually center him. Uh, because th those are the stories that we're actually interested in telling. And I don't know, you know, like this is just sort of my, it's not even really a theory. I'm just sort of like wondering. Um, but it feels because I just keep connecting less and less with what's going on with Otis, it feels sometimes like the writers don't like him that much either. And he he can have his moments, you know, when he's with Maeve. It's not like I'm feeling this way about Otis and then Maeve likes him and I'm kind of like, what does she see in him? It's not even when he's with Maeve, he is charming and funny. And I'm like, ah, yeah, there's Otis. But at home, he's so dysfunctional and, and frustrating. And what's going on with Ola feels like, and I, the thing about this is I'm bringing my baggage on this a little bit because Otis's wooing of Ola is sincere on his part. This is an Otis using like a placeholder girl because I was a little worried that might be how it felt. And it doesn't. It feels like he's genuinely invested in her and he likes her and he's trying to make it work. And it's not like he's secretly still pining after Maeve. I think he definitely still loves Maeve. But I also think that it, there isn't a vibe from him like he's still hoping for something with Maeve and he's just using Ola in the meantime. That doesn't, you know, and I was concerned that might be how it felt. So I think that... I'm bringing my feeling a little bit to the situation, which is I am watching him and Ola. I feel like Ola deserves better than him. 
I feel like he is just such an emotional minefield that I want him to like be in therapy and not actually in a relationship. And I just don't really know, you know, he feels like the most sort of unbalanced out of everybody in terms of his relationship to himself. Um, other than maybe Adam, weirdly, Otis and Adam have the same kind of like discomfort and lack of trust in their home life. And obviously his mother is trying harder to understand him than Adam's dad is, but there's a similar, like she just constantly ignores the boundaries that he's trying to put up and doesn't really honor him in a way that feels like she's allegedly trying her best. But there are times where I question if that's actually true. Um, so yeah. And, and like I said, the, the Ola is just so chill and laid back all the time. And I'm one, I'm starting to wonder now, is that like a good thing actually? Because part of me wants her to, I don't know. I want to see some temper from her, I guess. We get close to it last episode. When she's trying to talk to Lily and, you know, doesn't know how to confront him about the fact that he has no idea what he's doing when he's fingering her. But at the same time, it's she's sort of sidelined for Lily to tell him on her behalf. And I want to see Ola get a little confrontational. It just doesn't, you know, she she always sidesteps that. Um, so anyway... There's just the main conflict with Otis this time is that she, he, he is playing Monopoly. Jakob is trying to like pretend that they can play the game, however, because he feels like he's trying to make things easier for Otis by not accepting money when Otis lands on his boardwalk or whatever it is. And Otis, who is, a stickler for rules, as we know. He's a real rule follower. Even though he doesn't all the time, he still kind of is. Like me that way. Is He is, like, enraged by the fact that Jacob is trying to sidestep the rules and, like, coddle him, I think, is part of where the insult comes from. Like, he's a little kid. And finally, when Jacob is like, all right, well, if you want to actually play by the rules, you owe me 600 pounds. And... Ola says, I think that means you're bankrupt. And Otis loses it and just to like completely tips the board over in a real like 11 year old kind of moment. And they wind up leaving. Uh, Ashley says, I think she got close to it again in this one when they leave after the Monopoly. She didn't lose it, but she did make it clear she was pissed off. That's fair. It wasn't like, I just, I wanted somebody to slap and shake him. That's really what it is. And that's not fair. But yeah, that's true. Um, and eventually he comes back, apologizes. And he just tells Jacob, I already have a father. And Jacob says, I understand that. But again, what is so troubling for me is the fact that Otis isn't mad at Jacob. He's mad at his mother. 
And all she does is act as if he doesn't have the right to be as upset as he is. And he does, though. Like, it's not that dating Jakob is her doing anything wrong technically. You know, I understand that you can't help who you're interested in. And you have a real... The, the the chemistry between the two of them, like I said, is just undeniable. Like, there's no way that they don't wind up together. But he is allowed to feel however he wants to feel about it. And if it's he's made it clear repeatedly that he isn't comfortable, I really don't think continuing to try and push the issue the way they are is a good idea. And on top of that, she is going to his school as a counselor. And as we find out, it doesn't really feel like she's there to help people. She's not really listening or or paying attention to the effect that she's having when she's saying things to them, as we see. So she doesn't respect other people's boundaries either. Otis isn't the exception. I really want him to have a session with her and a therapist because when he tries to talk to her, she manages to like sort of shrink him into a corner where she's using all of this language to sort of, in some ways she is delegitimizing what he's saying and invalidating him. In other ways, she's turning it around to make it about a separate issue that it isn't really I feel like he can't withstand that. He's a smart kid, but she's an adult and she's a psychiatrist. So she knows tricks. And I don't know if she's even doing it on purpose or if it's just sort of an automatic response. But they there needs to be a mitigator in with them who can stop her and be like, okay, yeah, see, you just totally spoke over him. You didn't even reply to the question he asked you. You didn't respond to the concern he had. You just answered him with another question and that shit needs to be worked out before they try and like incorporate other people into their family. Um, so it's just really frustrating for me because Jacob is the target of his frustration and it's not his fault. And Gene isn't handling it well or, or respectfully at all. Even when Jacob chimes in to try and defend her from Otis, like swearing at her and says, you shouldn't swear at your mother. It's a very like tame thing to say. She says, I don't need help parenting my child. And I'm like, bitch, what? Who was trying to do that? He was purely trying to be like, hey, watch your language. And, you know, I swear like a motherfucker, but I'm not mad at somebody telling a teenager to not swear at their mother. That's fine. I agree. You know, they're, I'm, I'm a grown adult ass woman. I can say whatever the fuck I want. But in this situation, I had no problem with that. And her stopping him and just being like, um, actually, I was like, you know what, Jean, you don't fucking deserve Jacob either. Neither of you deserve either person in this family. Get out, both of you. So that's what's going on there. Um, Ashley says, yeah, she set up this expectation for him. So it makes sense that he's having difficulty with adjusting even without Jacob being his girlfriend's dad. Yeah. I, I do think that Jacob being his girlfriend's dad is like, while it looks like the biggest thing on paper is probably the smallest thing in reality. I just think that there's a man in her life and it's serious is enough for him to be upset. 
But that extra aspect certainly exacerbates things. I just think that it's easy to point to that and be like, this is the thing that's making me upset. And it's like, mm, sure, it is making you somewhat upset, but that's not the thing, is it? Let's tell the truth. Um, so that's the deal with Otis. I'm going to move on. And let's talk about Olivia. I had, so this is one of those things. Um, <laughs> Olivia, ooh, sorry. Ashley says, I was so delighted with the Sintu V appearance. I'm such a big fan of hers, but I'm only used to listening to her in podcasts. So when I saw her, I completely rejected it and was like, sounds like her, but GFC, there's more than one Indian Brit in that country, even though sex ed casts have been on that podcast. I do not know who you're talking about. I'll be honest, Ashley. I don't know about the podcast. I don't know who is Sindhu V. Oh, the mother. Okay. Um, yeah, my apologies. I don't know about the podcast either. But the way that the episode opens is Olivia practicing this dance. And her mother is criticizing her movements and very, you know, being very picky about it. And then her boyfriend knocks on the door. She tells him, don't talk to her. Remember, she thinks your parents are Indian. I'm wondering where he is from or where his family is from. Because, you know, she apparently he's able to pull it off convincingly enough for the mother to not say anything. But it's, you know, a, a lie, evidently. And they, they, like, tell the mother that they're going upstairs to practice their dance. And the mother believes them? I don't know, guys, but my mother was never this naive. My mom would uh, never have been fooled for a moment. I'm dragging this boy by the hand and sprinting to my bedroom and slamming the door shut and turning music on real loud. Oh, yeah, she's going to know what the fuck is going on. But evidently, her mother is a precious baby angel who has no idea. Um, So... She's on top of him. And when she begins to come, she takes a pillow and smushes it over his face. And I will admit, when she starts coming, I was like, bitch is making some weird faces. And it turns out that's why she's covering his face up so that he can't see her when she comes because she feels like her face is so mortifying that she'd rather do something weird that makes him uncomfortable than let him see her, which is really one of those moments when you have to stop and take a look at your relationship, like step back and be like, okay, my priorities are really jacked. I'm more concerned about how I look here than the fact that I've promised I won't do this anymore because he does not like it and feels unsafe. And I've done, I did it anyway. And that's messed up. So what, he he goes and, like, tries to talk to Jean about it. And Jean fucking tells this man. First of all, she talks about it as a fetish. And that's, a, like, what I also thought it was about. It's not until she talks later to Otis that I was like, oh, there it is. And it makes total sense, like I said, because her face was doing cr some crazy things. But this is, like, not an unheard of thing. And... Oftentimes, when I have seen it depicted, it's somebody who is trying to dehumanize the person they're having sex with. So I was like, kind of worried, to be honest, when she did this to him, because I was like, does she, does she not like 
him? Is it about feeling like wanting to be dominant was sort of my thought, you know? Um, because one of the prime examples that I have seen of this is dudes pushing a woman's face to the side because they are trying to sort of erase the woman from the scenario in a way that feels really degrading and gross to me. Um, and I was worried that that was what was happening here. So Jean, first she brings up the word fetish, which alarms this kid a little bit. And fetish is not something to be afraid of. Everybody has different variations. You know, we all have things that we're just like, no, that does it for me. But because this kid isn't educated in this stuff, it alarms him immediately. And then she has to bring up the weirdest possible fetish it could be, which is wanting to fuck a ghost. Which truly, Jean, what are you doing? Bitch, what are you doing? Like, for real, sincerely, I don't know where you think you are, but it's a high school and you need to pump the brakes and chill a little bit on your wild theorizing and listen to what this dude is saying and also watch the reaction he's having to what you're telling him because clearly it's not going super well. And he jumps up and leaves, understandably, and runs to Olivia and tells her, you need to figure this thing out because it makes me feel very unsafe, which I applaud him for. He was extremely straightforward here. And she goes and talks to Otis, who is like, you really need to build up the trust between the two of you. If you are having sex, you can't be constantly worrying about how you look. It's about how you feel and really enjoying yourself with somebody. And if you can't trust that they can handle you making a face, where is the trust in your relationship at a very basic level, which is correct. And so what they do is tape their faces into weird positions so that they look as ugly as possible to make it clear that they want to have sex with one another anyway, which, um, okay. It's very simplistic, but it's such a weird problem. And yeah, I I really wonder, because she says that he looks perfect when he comes. And I'm like, I would like to see his face and see if like, that's actually true. Or if she's just so attracted to him, that when he looks ridiculous, it's hot to her. Because that's something that happens. You know, objectively, something can be silly. But because you are into that person, you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Um, so yeah, that's the end of the thing with her, but it's another moment of Otis actually hearing her and, or hearing, well, hearing her because he's talking to her instead of her boyfriend, but the boyfriend went and tried to talk to Jean first and she absolutely did not listen to him at all. So just sort of an indicator that probably Otis is better at this than his mother is because he understands what it's like for somebody to not listen. Um, so, Okay. Let's talk about Amy. <sighs> so Amy, bless her heart, 
has made a bunny-shaped cake for Maeve's birthday. First of all, Bitch does not know how to bake. And it's evident from when everybody tries to eat that cake that she just got it wrong. I would love to know what happened there. But she tried her best. I also would love to know why she thought Maeve would like a bunny cake specifically. But it's very Amy. So I'm fine with that. You know, this is the kind of thing that like, occasionally I can also be guilty of while I'll give something to someone that I would like. And I don't really realize that maybe I'm completely missing the mark. I sent Rashawn a birthday card one year that was like bright, hot pink and covered in glitter. And I think she still loved it because it was it was so clear who it was from and the intent behind it. But when I stop and think about it, I'm like, mm, that's I should have just kept that birthday card and given it to myself because that really wasn't a Rashawn card. Um, but she makes this cake. She gets on the bus. She's carrying the cake without any sort of covering on it, which made me very nervous the entire time. I was incredibly paranoid about it. But, you know, there's no not a really a good way to put a wrapping on a cake like that and uh, not completely ruin the delicate icing job that she did on the bunny face. And reminder, she's riding public transport to get to school, which is something that I know is common, but I have never done. And I still find it really odd because... Every place I've lived, there have been dedicated buses from the school district that take you, pick you up exactly at your home and take you where you need to go or pick you up at the end of the block, you know. And I know that there are lots of people who live in cities and they use the same bus as all other commuters to get to school. But it's just really weird for me to think about a, a bus full of like children sitting side by side with like tired adults who are on their way to their nine to five. It's just personally as, a, as an adult, if I were commuting in the morning and I had to deal with kids on my bus too, I would fucking hate that. When I was in Philly and I had to commute for work, my commute on the bus was at like five thirty in the morning. So I didn't really have kids that early and I would get out of work after they had already gotten home. So I never really commuted along with kids when I was going to and from work. But I just, this sounds like a nightmare to me. So she gets on the bus and there's this man right behind her. And she, he's like very close. And for a second, I thought that he was going to whisper in her ear or something. And then you see that he's sort of like breathing heavy. And she realizes that he's jerking off. And she shouts it, but nobody does anything. And I will be honest, hand to God, I fully expected him to come on her cake by accident. I thought that was going to be like how they played it. Um, but he comes on her jeans. And this is such an important episode in so many ways, I think, guys, because this type of thing has been played for a laugh in so many TV shows and movies. Some random person jerking off and, you know, they're come getting on something and just ruining your day. And it's just meant to be like, ah, oh, isn't that an annoying, gross thing? But this, they really treated it like that's super fucked up, not it's not funny. 
And I was a little bit unsure how they were going to approach it with law enforcement. Because she goes to school, tells Maeve, and Maeve is rightfully like, uh, you have to report this. What are you kidding me? And she doesn't want to. But Maeve is like, for my birthday, as a present, please come to the police with me. So they go, and I was sort of wondering, are we going to see an example of law enforcement absolutely not giving a shit? Because let's be honest, everybody, like, something pathetic, like 5% of rape cases are even prosecuted. And of those, I think 3% are found guilty. It's like some sort of fractional that makes you just want to scream and tear your hair out. So the idea that cops would give any fucks about somebody jerking off onto you and on the bus, I just can't buy it. But I didn't want to watch an episode in which Amy didn't get taken seriously. So I was very torn. I was like, do I want to see reality or do I want to see how I wish things were? And we get to see how we wish things were, which is that she comes in with Maeve. She tells the lady at the desk what happened and then immediately hand waves it. And it's like, I'm sorry, we're probably just wasting your time. And the cop at the desk says, you're not wasting anyone's time. Take this and go fill it out. And I was like, thank you for immediately being serious about this. And every chance she gets, she sort of behaves as if she doesn't want to be filing this report and that she's apologizing either verbally or with her body language for wasting everyone's time. And this is such a relatable thing, guys. Like, women are really taught to just shrug things off. And you can see it in action. Go to any comment section when a woman has reported literally anything a guy has done as far as, like, harassment or assault. We are fully expected to expect that kind of treatment and let it roll off our backs if we weren't harmed. And when I say if we weren't harmed, there's an asterisk after the word harmed, because everybody has a different idea of what harmed even means. So you have to fulfill all of these arbitrary requirements that are put to you by strangers in order to even be taken seriously. And it's really hard as a woman to actually take action on your own behalf there is a moment where she is about to drop it and she gets up to leave because this cop has asked her when she smiled at the guy. And I, I thought, oh, this is going to be really gross now. But what he does, Maeve asks him, what are you asking that for? Are you trying to say she shouldn't even have smiled at him? And he says, the questions are only going to get harder, which for me really felt like he was saying, I know it's fucked up, but you're going to have to be prepared because that's how this shit goes. I'm sorry, which I can accept because he's not wrong. And that's when Amy starts to get up and leave. And Maeve stops her and says, what if he does this to somebody else? And that's what gets Amy to sit back down again. And this is so telling. And again, it's so true. Women are willing to take on the trauma, but we are not as willing 
to let somebody else experience the trauma that we have had to undergo. So if we are, if something like this happens, we're prepared to just swallow it and go on with our day. But when it's told to us that we may have it in our power to keep this from happening to somebody else, all of a sudden it becomes a priority in a way that it wasn't when it was just us, which is incredibly fucked up and also understandable because there is a real reason why so many women don't report. And it's because they're often not taken seriously or they're asked questions about how they may have brought this upon themselves. It's a real threat and it can, depending on who the person is to you, can lose you your job, can get you ostracized from your family. You can just wind up in a place where you're being harassed by strangers because you decided to look out for yourself and everybody else is thinking that you should have just let it go. So Amy, at first, when he's asking who it is, like, did he, was he on the bus already? Did he get on after you? At first she tries to say, like, I think he was on the bus already, but he might've been. And then finally the guy's like, look, we really need to know for sure. And this is, I think, right after she's about to like try and get up and leave and Maeve stops her, she sits down again and sort of, you can see it come over her that she's decided to get serious. And she says he was already on the bus. And she goes home. She's in sweatpants now because they held onto her jeans. And her mother is home. Her mother, I don't know who this actress is by name, but she looks really familiar. Her mother, she doesn't want to tell her mom what happened as she puts it to the cop because she'll just make a huge drama out of it. Which, um, first of all, maybe she should. But also, there's this real air of loneliness and sadness to her mother. And it was really hard to watch Amy reject her mom's attempts to hang out with her. Not to say that it's Amy's job to entertain her mother at all. I fully understand what they're doing with her mother. But because her mom seems so pitiful, watching her be left in the living room with her wine all alone was tough. And it's doubly tough because we know what Amy just went through and she isn't telling her mother about any of it. This relationship, I am extremely fascinated to see more of how this works because Maeve has such a bad non-relationship with her mother that it's tempting to see how involved Amy's mother is trying to be as a positive. Like, well, you'd wish that you had somebody like this instead of Maeve's mom. Now, look, I'm not saying you wouldn't prefer Amy's mom to, to Maeve's mom. You definitely would. But what I'm saying is there is a sort of damage that comes from this relationship. And I'm going to refer to a friend of mine here who I will call Lily. Actually, no, because that's a character name. I'll call her Leslie. Um, Leslie is somebody that I know from middle school, who I'm still friends with. Um, and her mother, she was a single mom. She 
worked various jobs, but for the most, most of the time that I knew Leslie, she was a bartender and she was Leslie's best friend. And by that, I mean, Leslie had other friends, but her mother didn't. And her mother sort of turned her daughter into her best friend. She had her daughter young. She didn't really know how to make friends, which can be hard when you're a grown up, but doubly so when you're a grown up with a fucking kid. And most of the people that she wound up spending time with, Leslie's mother, were guys that she was dating. So she'd never really had female friends around that she could confide in or just spend time with. So Leslie wound up being in this odd position of simultaneously being the child, but also being like a friend to somebody who's supposed to be an authority figure. And it was an interesting thing to watch because I had a similar thing sort of happen with my mother. My mother had me at 18, maybe 17, maybe. Um, and she was a pretty immature kid, even when she had me. So by the time that I was, you know, 13, 14, um, she, she was what? 30 something. She was still like young feeling enough that we would go out together and people would think that we were sisters. And she not only like with Leslie's mother, she was single. And so she was trying to find a partner and that's part of her deal with dating. But my mother didn't even have dating to be social. She was already married to somebody who was pretty overbearing and not really like cool about letting her do her own thing. And she worked full time. So I wound up in a similar position as Leslie for a time where my mother was treating me as her close friend. And it wasn't until like I was in probably college that I began to realize how like weird and lopsided that was because my mother was once her and my father divorced, she had started dating and the first man that she dated that she got very attached to dumped her and she called me sobbing, crying about it. And I didn't really know what to say because I didn't like the guy. Uh, I, I did not approve of the relationship and I didn't know what she wanted me to do because I was states away, but it was clear she had nobody else to talk to. And I felt bad for her and I wanted her to make friends, but I also didn't, you know, like it's not my responsibility and I feel really weird about it. I'm your child. I shouldn't be talking you through a breakup like this. So I feel like that's what we're going to get from Amy is this sort of attempt by her mother to hold on to her youth, to have like a, a relationship with somebody that feels like a friend that's not really appropriate for what's actually happening. And I have so much sympathy for women in this position because we are really taught to ha like reach out to a network for support in a way that men aren't. Men are expected to be lone wolves, which is very damaging in its own way. Um, 
But if you're a woman who has been told that you should have girlfriends to get together and go have mojitos with and goss about your lives, and you don't have that, it can really feel like something's wrong with you. Um, and especially if you are a single woman and you are older, I could see a lot of women are going to be settled and have husbands and have children and maybe are going to feel weird about bringing a, a single friend around, which is unfortunate that this can be seen as a threat, but it's certainly a fact of life that some women do not trust their spouses enough, or maybe don't trust the woman and they don't want to bring their single friends around their husbands. Um, just one of those things that I feel gross even saying it, but it's just, that is how some people feel. I have never, for me, if you ever feel worried about your partner, it, it just, there's no reason for you to be together then. I don't, you know, like Owen has a best friend who's a woman and I cannot emphasize enough how fine I am with that. I, it doesn't even occur to me to worry about it because it's so clearly not an issue. Um, anyway, just getting wildly off topic here, but I just, because I recognize so many of the signs here and felt for her mother at the same time as I was frustrated with her, it's, it, it just kind of compelled me. And I want to see more of this. She is wanting to connect with Amy, but in a way that clearly Amy doesn't feel receptive to because this traumatic thing happened and she clearly doesn't want her mother to know and I think that her mother, if she were to talk about Amy to other people, would say with complete certainty, oh, we're so close. She tells me absolutely everything, which is a thing that you hear parents say all the time, like, my kid doesn't lie to me, and it's adorable. Parents, I'm sorry. I don't care how good your relationship is with your child. They lie to you constantly. They just do. I'm sorry. I got along fairly well with my mother father, eh. I was a good kid who got good grades and really tried. And I still lied my ass off constantly, just because it was easier. Frankly, there were times it was just like, I don't want to have this conversation. So I'm just going to tell you whatever is going to shut you the fuck up right now. So just don't fool yourselves, everyone. Just because your kid is lying to you, it doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. It doesn't mean you messed up. It doesn't mean your kid is bad. There are a lot of reasons for somebody to lie when they are that age, especially just bear that in mind, you know, and, and look at your life when you were that age and try and remember how little you trusted adults, how little you understood yourself, what was going on sometimes and why you felt away, you know? So, uh, let's see, I'm reading, Ashley left a bunch of comments. Sorry, Ashley, I didn't see these. Um, Inter Susan Lynn, oh, that's just her mom. Interview with a vampire, Downton Abbey, Killing Eve, and an episode of Doctor Who. Killing Eve, I don't remember. It might be in a later season, though, because I never did finish Killing Eve. Um, I don't know. I think my sister has an odd relationship with my mom in that there really are no boundaries. Like, she'll talk about how good her partner was in bed and give details about dick size. It's a bit much. See, this is what I'm talking about. I would do that. This is That was the relationship that I was having with my mom when I was, like, in college. And... I began to pull back and be like, you know what? It's not even that I have a problem talking with my mom about this. There's a part of me that's kind of like relieved that we can be that open about it. But it was the fact that she had nobody else. It really would be if, if it were 
we have this relationship, but my mom also has her friends, then I think I would have been cooler in the end. But it really felt like I was a replacement because she was too insecure to try and make friends. And that was what started to sort of get to me. Um, so Amy goes upstairs and it's really an interesting moment because the whole episode, she's been trying to sort of play it like it isn't that big a deal. She even defends the guy when she's first talking to Maeve and saying, I think that he was just lonely or maybe mentally ill or something. Again, something that we are trained to do is humanize the person who assaulted us, you know, like truly gross. And once she's by herself, after going through this process, she breaks down alone in her bedroom in a moment that is so beautifully acted. I really love Amy as a character so much. I know I said this last episode, but truly this did it for me. Like she's probably my top three on this show at this point. Her acting here is so good because she's obviously so deeply upset and also doesn't really understand why, which I relate to in my fucking soul. And I am certain a lot of women out there have stories like this where something happened to us. And looking back, we're like, oh, wow, that was fucked up. But at the time, we don't understand why we feel so gross about what happened. Because we don't have the language to describe the kind of violation that it was or there was nobody there to see it. And when you try and explain what happened to somebody, it feels like it sounds really feeble and like it isn't a big deal. So then you just don't say it. Um, I just, I remember one of the times for me that this really happened. Uh, and, and I have talked a lot of shit about my high school boyfriend and he deserved every bit of it, but I will give him this one. There was a guy in my math class when I was in high school that I was flirting with. And yeah, I had a boyfriend, but we both flirted with everybody all the time. It was just part of the being a teenager thing. And this guy and I flirted pretty heavily. And I would do the thing where I would sort of like lean in a way to like push my boobs up and look really cute. And, you know, like I would have a lollipop during class and sort of like give him a look or a smirk. But then at one point, I was sitting beside him and he just straight up reached up my skirt. And I was so horrified, but like also had that thing that girls get taught, which is that you teased and cajoled him. And what did you expect him to do kind of thing, right? Like, it was one of the few times that I was relieved that I had thick thighs because he did not get past the thighs. But he really tried, though. And I just pulled away and didn't know what to do. But I felt fucked up about it. And I didn't know how to verbalize because I just felt guilty. Like I had somehow brought it on myself. And then I went to lunch and I told my boyfriend what had happened. And he turned white which was an odd thing. I thought he'd get red, but he turned white and he got up and he left. And I, w I thought he was mad at me. 
And he was gone about like eight minutes. And then he came back and he was like breathing hard. And he was like, you don't have to worry about him anymore. And I was like, oh, okay. And later on, when I went back to math class, this kid had moved desks like across the room and had gotten as far from me as he could get. And I asked a friend of mine because she was like, what happened with Jared and Mike the other day? And I was like, I did. I tried to get him to tell me and he didn't say, what are you asking me for? And she said, he went up to Jared and grabbed him by the front of the shirt and held him by like up against the lockers with his forearm, like against his throat and said something and then just dropped him and walked away. And that was one of those moments of like, all right, we're definitely going to be having sex after this because my boyfriend, he was really such an utter piece of shit. But I appreciated so much that there wasn't even a moment from him of going, well, what did you do to deserve that? What did you say to him? Have you been, you know, like there, he didn't even ask. It was immediately like, I am going to go and fuck this guy up and no questions asked, which, uh, you know, looking for that kind of loyalty in life. I think we all are. Um, and the only other time that I can think of that really got to me was I was alone on the street in Guatemala and there are really narrow sidewalks and thus any car passing you, they can literally reach out and touch you. And somebody drove past me and smacked me on the ass and drove away and there was nothing to be done. I couldn't stop them, you know, and I stood there feeling sick to my stomach and like I wanted to cry. And I felt like I was being so stupid. I literally like said to myself, Oh my God, they just grabbed your ass. Shut up. Who cares? It's, it's not a big deal. They didn't do anything. They they're gone now. Just get over it. And I don't think I even told anybody because I just felt like, what's the point? I don't know who it was. I didn't get a plate number. I don't even remember what the car looked like I was too startled, but that feeling of being violated and not really having the words to put to it is a real thing. So her breaking down and crying and the expression on her face when she did it, it was just so relatable to me. And then we see her the next day about to get on the bus and she sees the guy and decides to walk instead. And it's so heartbreaking because it's such an example of women having to rearrange their fucking lives in order to accommodate garbage, evil men. And the fact that she spotted him and knew exactly who he was, I really wanted her to go to the cops and be like, there he is. I would love for her to call them and like have them waiting at the bus, for, like with her in the morning because apparently this guy just rides that same bus every day. But, you know, I can also understand why she sort of wants to let it go. I hope she doesn't, but we'll see. Um, and so in this moment, we have Maeve, too, because it's her birthday. She didn't tell anybody. Amy knows, but Maeve doesn't like celebrating her birthday, which, you know, she probably had a lot of really disappointing birthdays in her life. I'm not surprised. And she's the one that convinces Amy to go. And she has this moment of uh, 
first of all, again, somebody stole her propane and they left a sticky note with a smiley face. I am assuming, again, that it's the disabled guy that just moved in because he just seems like an asshole. And he seems like the type that would leave a smiley face sticky, like he just does. Um, and rent is coming due and she says she'll have it for this lady by the end of the day, but it doesn't feel like she will. And then at the end of the episode, her mother shows up and she's been hit. And when she told the guy that she actually had other kids, she, he did not take it well. So now she's moving back in with Maeve, which sounds like a nightmare. And I am not excited about it. Especially because she has an infant child. And I can guarantee that she's going to try and saddle Maeve with taking care of this kid. And I already hate it. Um, hopefully she can help pay the rent. You know, like, I don't know. Um, and this dude that she was with, what a piece of shit. I really want some... Like, she had said that he was her former sponsor, too. Which is really extra gross. Like, ew. Um... And we just have a moment with Maeve when she gets a present from Otis. He got her a five-year diary and he tore out every page on her birthday so that she doesn't have to celebrate it for the next five years. And it's a moment in which she nearly tells him how she feels about him. Because Amy says, it's obvious that he loves you too. And what do you have to lose? And that's one of those things where I'm like, well, let's be honest. She's got plenty to lose. She's stuck in a building with this guy for the next like couple years of her life. Telling somebody that you have feelings for them and them maybe not reciprocating or it getting messy when you are sharing space with them every single day. That's really stressful. I don't blame her for not wanting to mess things up right now especially knowing that he's actually in a relationship and that you could be throwing a wrench into something when he's actually happy. So I just don't, I don't think that the, what have you got to lose holds a lot of water. She has a lot to lose, you know, also that's like what they're doing as part of her income. Um, although it doesn't seem like that's going super well. So I don't know if that's going to even matter. Um, but yeah, so she chooses not to say it by the end, but there's a sense with Otis that he knows something significant just happened and that she didn't say it. Uh, but he chooses to let it go and sort of play along. Um, and then we will go to Jackson. I haven't talked about Eric yet. I only have five minutes left. Oh, let's talk about Jackson. Um, Jackson goes to his tutor and it's kind of adorable because what I thought we were going to get is that Jackson was going to be like so into the material that they were going to be auditioning with for the drama club that he would feel compelled to try out because he was really like invested. But instead it's Shakespeare that he doesn't really relate to or understand. So he doesn't really have a drive. It's more that he's, actually pretty determined to be part of the drama club, despite the fact that he doesn't really get it. So he goes to his tutor, whose name I'm forgetting, forgive me, um, and asks her like to help him understand the Shakespeare. And she gets him to hear the rhythm of it and really listen to it. And when he goes up there and auditions, 
apparently he blows it away. I say apparently because I didn't, I wasn't that impressed at all. I don't know if it's just me or if it's just that I don't really give a fuck about Shakespeare personally, like Shakespeare's fine, but it just, you know, there are some things that I'm, I'm here for, but meh. Um, but yeah, Jackson is definitely going to wind up being part of this. And I'm curious what everybody is going to make of it because he wanted to hide from his friends that he was even auditioning. So if you wind up getting the lead role, you can't hide that anymore. How how are you going to keep that a secret? So, you know, if he's worried about like the social stigma of it, that's going to be coming up. He's going to have to deal with it pretty soon. Um, but I really do enjoy his tutor, just like really not having a lot of tolerance for him, but still being willing to help. But she's like definitely prioritizing herself above all. And I like that he listens to her and really, you know, he, he, it's not like he takes her for granted. He hears what she's saying and really absorbs it. And he got a better score on his algebra test. And, you know, he's never gotten that good a score before. So I was sort of touched by this, actually. Um, sorry, there's a whole thing. Uh, but I only have three minutes left. I'm sorry, guys. I can't read all the comments. I don't have time. Um, so, all right. I'm going to talk about Eric now. So in order to talk about Eric, I have to briefly talk about Adam. <sighs> episode starts with Adam trying to do something nice and wash his dad's car, but he does not roll up the windows before dumping a bucket of soapy water onto it. So his dad comes out and is like, what the hell are you doing? I just took the car to the car wash two days ago. And then he gets in and the seat is soaked and he's just like, what the fuck? And I can't help but, agree i was looking at the car thinking the window's wide open buddy what are you doing and it does wind up being a problem but it's so sad because like he really is trying you know guys have you ever dated a person like this who they mean well and they really are doing their best but they keep like not quite thinking it through and sort of making more work for you in the end it's just excruciating because you you know they are attempting to be thoughtful and helpful, but they just don't like completely understand everything that goes into X, Y, Z. And it can be so frustrating because you want to be appreciative, but you also feel a little bit resentful that they are so unfamiliar with something that for you is so basic that they can't even get it right. And you're just like, why, how do you live? You know? And, I will say his mother actually pipes up to defend him and says he's trying his best. And uh, his dad doesn't seem real moved by that. Later on, she goes and starts to try and talk to Jean and winds up clamming up at the last second. But I am very eager to hear what she wants to ask Jean about. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Adam, for his part, has a job at the convenience store where Ola worked. I don't know if she still works there, but there's a moment where he's looking at this rescue dog. And I think that's going to be a job that actually like inspires him working at a rescue because we saw how he was with Madam, his mother's dog and how much he cared, like genuinely seemed upset when she ran off. And there's just a bit of a smile when he looks at this dog and I'm like, mm, there it is. That's the thing for you. 
We'll see. For right now, he's working in this like soulless job that, God bless him. And at one point, Eric has gone for a date with Raheem. It's really sweet. I will say, though, Raheem wanting to get up and leave without paying. I was like, dude, he's like, you can't live in fear. I'm like, there's also politeness, Raheem, basic politeness. Um, But Eric does go back and pay. So thank you, Eric. And they go and play Dance Dance Revolution at the arcade in the sweetest scene in the world. And Raheem kisses Eric, which bless you, Raheem. I love how incredibly confident he is. He's just like, I'm just going to kiss you because I feel like it. And then they are about to go back to his house so that Eric can see where he lives for the first time. Eric has no idea that Adam is back. So they're walking through because he lives above the convenience store, evidently. And Eric, uh, Adam stands up behind the counter and you can see Eric just feel like he's been punched in the face. And he backs up making an excuse about how it's late and I really need to go. But Raheem is not a fool. And he has to know something went down between the two of them. And I expect him to actually ask. So we'll see. Um, and I really wonder if Eric knows that Adam is back now, is he going to attempt to reconnect with Eric, Adam or cause I really like him and Raheem. I understand the attraction to Adam for sure, but Adam has his shit that he needs to fucking work out first, you know, like do that. And so yeah, that's everything. Um, I'm sorry again, guys, because I think there was a conversation that was pretty big happening in the comments, but I just couldn't read it while I was recording. I'm sorry. Um, but I appreciate you all. And thank you, Ashley, for commissioning this. I really liked this episode. I thought this one, just like everything about it was pretty compelling. And I am interested to see where it goes. So, all right, guys, I will see you soon with a new episode. And until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.